I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And I'm this can of beer. We were joking around about a can of beer being a surprise fifth member of the Beatles. Which is not really a surprise. Everyone knows there was a can of beer. Who's the fifth member of the Beatles? It's time for episode 340 of Video Games Hot Dog. Uh, Pete Best's Blue Ribbon. <laughs> um, who, who, who was the fifth Beatle? It was not Pete Best. It was somebody else. It was Colonel. Oh. The Colonel. Stu Sutcliffe. Stu Sutcliffe. Okay, oh, so... Okay. Let's see. Stu Sudcliffe. Okay, all right. The can, Sudcliffe. the can of beer uh-huh. that was the fifth Beatle. Yeah. What was the name of their producer? He had a producer that some people also called the fifth Beatle. The Captain? <laughs> no, that was Elvis's producer. Okay. Or oh, Captain, my captain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robin Williams was the fifth Beatle. Um, Brian Eno was their producer. Okay. Flood was their producer. Timbaland was that. I'm just, li- <laughs> I'm just listing producers. Like I know. Dan Nakamura. Dr. Dre. <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, it's time for video games podcast. This uh, studio smells like ass. It's it's like a plastic ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> like the ass of a brand new real doll. Like <laughs> <laughs> prosthetic ass. It's, it's got that new real doll smell. <laughs> oh God. We still need to. We still need to try to put more uh, soundproof baffling. Yeah, that's true. I just it, when I when I think about how I just get so confused. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's been a week since the last time we recorded here. I think it's hard to tell with the brain damage that these fumes are causing. Um, so uh, Kevin got this flooring that I think is like for a kindergarten sort of like this is meant to yeah, it's meant to damage the brains da- of, of five year olds. Yeah, yeah. They, they have so much. Their brains neuro- are plastic. They have neuroplasticity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So adding some adding some airborne plastic doesn't hurt them at all. How are, how are you guys doing? Eh. Eh? Eh. Ah, what's the matter, Kevin? I'm just feeling stressed. There's there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fine. It's fine. This is just work stuff. It is just work stuff. Yeah. It's making making uh, art images in different sizes. Yeah, it's a lot of that. Different configurations. Man. That is a real trash aspect of game development. That Resizing finally, images. Finally seeing people complaining about in significant numbers. I forget who it was that pitched. I think it may be Tom Francis who was just like, yeah, you know what? Let's just start over and everything is a fucking square. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's, it's everything's like a different aspect ratio. And then there's like different areas that you can't use. Cause they have to be reserved for logos and stuff. So you have to, like, you just have to rearrange every element all the time. And yeah. And for it to be as much work as it is, even for you who you tend to organize stuff like that in a way that it's like, ah, oh, you probably have some, you probably use like layers. I do use layers. Photoshop. It's true. Oh, man, I accidentally used some the other day too. Accidentally? I finally found you a fell use into for some layers. layers. Yeah. Does what the, was your use? I was making uh, sprite sheets for uh, controller uh, prompts Buttons. for the uh, PC version of West of Loathing, which we're adding controller support to in a in an upcoming patch. And so I had to draw a bunch of pictures of buttons on various controllers and put them on a specific spots on a sprite sheet so i used a layer to put them over the did, the ones that we got from nintendo did you make the the gamecube controller a button like twice as big as all the others <laughs> i don't think that would actually work the way that the code works and also we don't support the gamecube controller because there's not really any way to plug that into a pc or is there listeners tell us yeah i think the uh i think because of the smash brothers community there is a uh, usb gamecube controller 
Hmm. For yeah. the um, or at least like U, an maybe? adapter that that you can yeah. plug one into. Does the Smash Brothers community still mostly play on the GameCube? Uh, like when you go to Evo, what I am told is that what they like best is a um, hacked up version of Super Smash Brothers Brawl with all the glitches from Super Smash Brothers Melee that they play on a modded Wii so it doesn't have to load from a disc. That's what I'm told. Like, and you can like buy the Wii's. It's just like all this Wii does is play this hacked up Smash Brothers game. Hmm. Buy it from a, a a modder. I could be misremembering any amount of this information. And that's the GameCube version. Uh, it's it's the it's the Wii version, but with I think characters and maybe glitches from the GameCube version hacked into it. How did? Oh, I see. Okay, like glitches that have become core to gameplay, like wave dashing. Is wave dashing not a feature? A wave dashing, I believe, is a glitch. Okay. What is wave dashing? No fucking idea. <laughs> it's, it, it requires a wave bird. Uh-huh. Um, and some salt. Just I mean, wave bit. dash sounds like the name of it. Like, if you said, if you said, Zach, what is wave dash? I would have said it's a one of those things in Super Metroid. It's yeah, a exactly. Music genre. It's a spine shark. Spine shark. <laughs> Uh, good. Was that a, was that an existing joke, Riff? Uh, that is actually a xenophobe joke. Oh, okay. He was, he was big into, uh, like the way he would relax is do a speed run of Metroid Zero Mission and, uh, and, and Shine Sparks, uh, feature prominently in that run. They called them Spine Sharks. R.I.P. Xenophobe. I mean, he's still alive. He just doesn't go by that anymore. Uh, this, this was the guy who was our programmer for a long time uh, in the early days of Kingdom of Loathing. Um, what have you been up to, Riff? Uh, I've been, I have done, like, it has been work, and all of my free time has been spent playing La Mulana 2. So I, I don't actually have anything else to talk about. Hmm. You've been writing down things in notebooks. You want to talk about, like... Your pen, favorite pen, yeah. pen choices, and <laughs> well, uh, it's I've been let's see, I've been using a pencil. My pencil is a Graph Gear five hundred, uh, five millimeter by Pentel, or no, that's half a millimeter, I guess. A five five millimeter pencil lead would be considerably thicker than I would want. Yeah, I think you'd really want to. That would be for like a marking. That would be like yeah. That'd be like for a crayon. Yeah. Well, uh, is this like, did you arrive at this after thinking about it a lot or is that just what you had? That, that was just what I had. I just like, that's at, I don't remember when, but at some point I was like, I need a nice mechanical pencil. And that was the nicest looking one they had at the grocery store. So. Oh. Yeah, that's where you go for high-end art supplies. Have you, have you had to refill it yet? <laughs> well, my my local grocery store is is a Fred Meyer, so they it's also kind of like a department store. They also sell right. clothes and stuff. Um uh, uh, it's, uh... I, I get all of my, uh, pencils at the Fred Schneider. Kind of getting low. <laughs> I have to, I have to put some more leads in there. Oh, so you, you, you have refilled it. Cause like, I've, I've never used a writing utensil long enough to use it up. Hmm. Like I've always just either yeah, lost any, it nothing, or... No writing utensil ever. Hmm. Like, not that I, not, not that I, I, that I can remember. Huh. Like, I have run a tremendous number of Pilot Precise V5s out of ink. 
Yeah. Uh, using them for. I remember like in high school, like being uh, astounded when I saw someone was like, Oh yeah, this pen ran out of ink. And like, it was a ballpoint pen, the kind that you could see into because the case is clear and the, the little reservoir in there, the cylindrical reservoir was actually just empty. And I was like, Holy shit, that never happens. Because I just like, oh, I lost my pen. I could better get a new one. I remember the first time I ate an entire loaf of bread before it got moldy. <laughs> and how impressive that felt. Yeah. yeah. I remember the first time I used a single uh, purchase worth of super glue more than once. Yeah. Because uh, that happened like a year ago. <laughs> the, there's a new sort of dispenser for crazy glue that... I, I have now had for multiple years, and every time I open it up, it's just available. <gasps> it hasn't just glued itself wow. shut. It's it's weird. It's great. And the glue hasn't dried up. Nope. Inside? Huh? Yeah. It's they have figured it out. Pretty good. Yeah. Like a year and a half ago, I you I finished an entire sheet of stamps. <laughs> well, they're forever stamps now, so it's yeah. Like, yeah. Still, it felt I felt like oh yeah, I finally I paid rent that many times. I don't think I have ever held on to. A cigarette lighter until it ran out of fuel. You didn't ever refill like a Bic? Uh, yeah. Well, not, no, like, not like a Bic. Sorry, not uh, a Bic, a Zippo. A Zippo. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't refill a Bic. Pen or lighter. Man, those Bic it's lighters true. are just like tiny grenades that they sell in in grocery stores. It's not. It's really hard. To at all easy to yeah. get them to explode. Okay. Yeah. I haven't you know tried. You, you know what you can do? There's a cool trick. Uh, if, if somebody does run a lighter out, you can uh, you can pull the flint out of it and you can kind of suspend the flint in the spring that holds that works the button of the lighter. Uh, if you can get it out without it flying off into the darkness of the parking lot that you're in. <laughs> um, you got to hang out, hang out in parking lots to do this trick. So, all right, you, you put the flint in the in the spring and then you use a different lighter. So you need another lighter. That has uh, fuel. That has fuel to get the flint like red hot and then like throw it at the ground. And mm. it creates a very, very impressive shower of sparks. Huh. It's a it's a pretty cool trick. Neat. To amaze your dirtbag cigarette smoking <laughs> friends. <laughs> Riff, remember when we were cigarette smoking dirt bags? Yep. Do now you you're now you're a vaping cool guy. Yeah. Or do you still vape? Yeah. Do you sometimes smoke a cigarette? Uh, I actually like last month bought a pack of cigarettes just to see how I felt about them, and they were pretty gross. I can't even. I, I like. I just wouldn't. Because you didn't want it, you wouldn't want to like tempt yourself to start smoking again. No, because I think it would be bad. At this point, like, I think it would hurt a lot to inhale a drag of smoke. I'm still a cigar asshole. Not in public. I only smoke cigars at my house now. Okay. I don't like to take up that much space. Um, yeah, cigars are gross, but also, man, do they give you a lot of the chemical I'm addicted to. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite thing about them. What do you, uh, do you use flavored vape, Riff? Uh, yeah, mildly flavored, but not like, like I, I have, I have two flavors that I, that I go back and forth between and one is like tobacco and clove and the other one is mostly just menthol. So it's, I don't, I don't go in for like fruit loops and cheesecake flavors. You cotton, know? cotton candy. Yeah. You just go for children's cigarette flavors. Yes. <laughs> Why? So why are those children's cigarettes? Because they are less... Oh, cloves and menthols. 
Yeah, no, but I know why. But why? Why are the like, they just the, the you know the same reason they that they taste like, good? <laughs> yeah, the same reason that like Arbor Mist or like uh, fuck what Boone's Farm is like children's wine. <laughs> M- Mad Dog to a lesser extent. Okay, that's for hobo children. Um, do you go outside to vape, or do you vape in your? Do you just like wrap? Wrap yourself in a toilet paper mummy and <laughs> vape inside that. Wait, <laughs> why? <laughs> Those why? are the only two ways, Riff. What? Why would? <laughs> I don't. What's what? What technology am I missing here that would necessitate? I mean, it's just like a very localized hot box for the vape. I see. No, I I just I just vape sitting at my desk or wherever. <laughs> huh. I feel like if I did that, I would. Just never stop vaping. Hmm. That's my motto. ABV. <laughs> yes, always be vaping. Um, I feel like despite that, I because like it's not like uh, like when I was smoking, I was smoking maybe five cigarettes a day, and I th- I'm pretty sure even though I have the pen next to me throughout the day, I bet I don't take more hits off of it than five cigarettes worth of hits, you know? How many hits does it take to get to the center of a... Yeah. (laughs) What did you smoke? You smoked, like, Winston menthols or something? Uh, I I smoked whatever menthols were available, but the one that I typically got was Salem Lights. Salem Lights. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, because, like, when when you're... When you're they using, burn like witches. Yeah. <laughs> when you're using a vape pen, there's no drive to finish the entire cigarette. So you can just take like one hit off of it every hour or however long. So it spreads it out a lot more. Yeah. Why not one huge hit every minute and then just blow fat clouds? Yeah, just breathe it out very slowly over a long period of time. <laughs> mm, yeah. Take one breath a minute. Just make it really cold in your house. <laughs> well, I would, I would, I would appreciate that actually. If what if they invented a kind of stasis for astronauts where they just had to take one huge vape hit, and then when they were woken up hundreds of years later, they just exhale a huge cloud of cotton candy scented <laughs> vape juice? What about you, Jim? What have you been doing? Just uh, listening to these kids next door screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to a uh, podcast. So I um I noticed that I had been retweeting the threads of a uh, plant doctor named Sarah Tabor a bunch. Like there was one thread a few months ago about how because uh farm labor is increasingly being done by convicts, there's a intense political uh incentive to um arrest uh latinx immigrants because they're the ones who know how to farm okay and there was a thread uh maybe maybe a month ago about the sustainability of farming vegetables versus farming meat on the same land and how the common wisdom is that vegetables are more sustainable like it's less less cost to the land but uh in um water constrained biomes like california uh, meat is actually, uh, much easier to farm and grow. And that's why, like, in arid regions, the natives will usually be eating, uh, the local, uh, herbivores because the, the herbivores can eat the desert scrub 
and digest it. I've always found it kind of hard to buy that reasoning from vegetarians for that reason. Like, why, if this is such a bad use of land, why was it so widespread in times of great need? Right. And I mean, you know, you can say that it's harder. Scale. It's just a scale question, right? It's like one acre of land could feed in people if you're growing vegetables and could feed in divided by yeah but i would argue that a primitive people living on that land would have figured that out but they weren't constrained in the same way like they would like they're they were trying to feed a small number of people and it was just a question of like what is the most viable this is i think the argument that is the uh, the land use one is like given that the population of the earth just keeps increasing is it moral Uh, to to I, the argument that she was making was that it's it's more efficient to farm crop from farm like plant crops in like biomes like Europe. Okay. Uh but in more arid regions more it's more efficient to farm and you're you're talking about like having having different costs but uh, you should just check out the thread it's pretty good. Um and the thread most recently that I really liked was one about um in response to people asking whether farm bailouts are going to go to family farms or corporate farms. Uh, it was just about how muddy that distinction is and about how like, there is no such thing as like, like the, 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 what people call a corporate farm is usually still family owned and is just, it basically just grew enough that it can package its own products to sell directly to the consumer rather than farming that stuff out to a, <laughs> a so to speak, uh, to a, uh, a third party. Yeah. Um, and after I retweeted this third thread, I was like, I should probably be following this person. Uh, and then immediately Twitter recommended to me, uh, the Twitter for her podcast, Farm to Tabor. Uh, Tabor? That's her last name. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, it's one of those things. Okay. I, I forgot what you call it. A pun. Um, <laughs> And I didn't follow that, but I did subscribe to the podcast and have now. And the newsletter. Listened to all 10. There's only 10 episodes, but I've listened to all of them and it's really good. It's really like good. If you're into, um, into, uh, and I guess I'm not into farming, but I'm into like systems, systems design, optimization and the way like in, in unexpected ways that this stuff kind of like affects our, our lives. Like there's one, uh, podcast that was about um batch um manufacturing versus flow manufacturing and and, and the distinction like and um talking about a uh how the reason that like the Japanese car companies ate the lunch of the American car companies in the 80s is that they had managed to switch over to a flow uh process which the Americas, Americans never had to do because... Can you briefly describe the difference between the two? Fuck. I actually don't think I understand what flow is. Um, but it, it the properties of it were such that um, you, in, in a batch process, you are making... Um, you're, you're doing a, num- a number of stats, steps to a large pile of things. Okay, so like today, the factory is making bumpers... 
tomorrow the factory is making doors the following day it'll be making the other doors yeah and as opposed to every day one guy's making a bumper one guy's making a door yeah that that, that seems like it's probably uh as close as i would get if i were to try to describe it i remember the anecdote from i don't remember what the source was but talking about the like in japan workers would be rewarded if they could figure out a way to make the process more efficient or better or whatever so like there was always this sort of constant innovation on the ground level it's like oh if the cart is like two inches higher it's way easier for me to grab this thing and i I can make more things and they would just roll that out everywhere or they would you know they'd like learn what was what was the inefficiency and then improve things and in in the u.s right and there was just there was just no incentive in the in the united states to be more efficient because there's no demand for it yeah the around uh, the same time in russia uh cars made you (laughs) i heard that one (laughs) But yeah, I, I uh, really, really been digging that podcast. Wait, the <laughs> Farm to Tabor or the one about Car Batch? That that was sorry. That was an episode of Farm to Tabor. I see. Was about cars. Oh, well, that it, as it, applied to it was about like it was about uh, flow versus batch processing in general, and okay. and how it applies to. Um, uh, she like was making get three chickens lay one egg in a third she of the was, time that it takes. She was making, (laughs) she was making the argument that, um, uh, pasture fed, uh, cows is a form of flow processing versus, um, fuck, what do you, I forget what you call the other kind. Just corn fed cows. The kind, the kind where you, you like industrial agriculture. You, you grow a bunch of seed and then give it to the, uh, to the livestock who are like stuck in a pen. Uh, the kind that, that everybody, um, points to when they talk about the immorality of, uh, of factory farms. Uh, she was actually making the argument that although that, like, that process is simpler to describe and to implement, it's actually a lot less efficient than just fucking putting the cows on the grass and letting them eat it. There's, you have to be a little careful with that though, because you need, you need to, like, let them graze. Right. They need a, a certain amount of grass per day per cow. And that, 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 and that's the reason people do the other thing is that it's actually like kind of difficult to implement. Cause you have to let them not overgraze a spot yeah. so the grass doesn't grow back. And yeah. But it, there's a really good rotation where if you let cows eat grass and then you move them to a second second area but then you let chickens, chickens eat in to eat the grubs out of the cow shit yeah and then they shit and that makes the grass grow yeah, yeah. and, the, and the, the, the pigs root around for truffles and then you get a spider to come in and swallow the fly <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's good you're just basing that on that michael pollan book though. i am yeah he seems pretty on the ball you know i ran well, into so for- the berkeley bowl once <laughs> So we clearly know he's just doing drugs all the time. (laughs) Everyone from Berkeley won't shut up about the Berkeley Bowl, right? And I thought it was something really exciting until I eventually learned that it was just a fucking grocery store. But you you haven't been to it? No. Oh, come on, man. You don't don't know. It can't be that good. You don't know. Why can't it be that good? There has never been a grocery store good enough for me to, like, not not shut shut up up about about it ever. (laughs) Like, there... (laughs) You're, you're just because you haven't been to the Berkeley Bowl. I know. I haven't run into Michael Pollan there once, you know. That's what everybody says. They talk about how great it is. They talk, they talk about, they evaluate homes in Berkeley exclusively based on how close they are to Berkeley Bowl. And then they mention how they met Michael Pollan there once. (laughs) 
No, they didn't meet him. They just saw him. When I lived in Berkeley, I like, and whenever I had a visitor from out of town, that was one of the tourist spots I would take him to. Yeah. Yeah. What's so great about it? Uh, the, it's, I, I think the most impressive part of Berkeley Bowl is the enormous produce section. But do they have like weird alien fruits and stuff that sure. you can't get? Yeah, they, they do. They do have lots of a huge selection. Okay, what's the most alien fruit you ever saw in there? I I don't fucking know. Describe I describe the weirdest thing. Do they have those weird <laughs> um, Buddhist palm things? I uh, I'd be sure. Why not? Didn't I I don't. I, I couldn't give you an example. I think but they have a lot. They have a, lo- they have a, a very broad. I'm sure they they have at do some they have point tubular plums. <laughs> sure, why not? Do they have, have all 125 variety of apple? Tubular bell peppers. <laughs> Tubular. Do they have that's a space that's good, actually. Aren't, <laughs> all, if you cut off the ends of a pepper, it's all, they're all kind it of It is tubes. a tubular bell pepper. Yeah. yeah it's like, um, do they have those plums that look like human eyeballs? The, what? <laughs> Are you talking about the grapes that feel like eyeballs when you skin them? <laughs> oh, yeah. Pre, pre-peeled grapes. Oh man, skinless grapes! Oh, <laughs> it just makes Halloween so much easier. They taste horrible, like they're just as you can imagine. I mean, they're just like what was that you, you that you tweeted this morning? That was like, why, why do watermelons come in six packs but grapes come in packs of eight? I don't know. Just woke up with that <laughs> needing to get out into the world. Um, I went to, uh, on Sunday. Are you, are you positing like a a snack that is made of a watermelon and a grape that you like, you put them together and (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's the the actual funny part was what would not come six at a time and then what would definitely come in way more than eight. Like those were the, that was the, you know, you, you, you get those like. Wait a minute. <laughs> this is the opposite of what I expected. <laughs> That's what makes this funny. I'm reading uh, I'm reading this book by Ken Jennings about uh, the sort of evolution of comedy, and it's very good. Hmm. You know, that guy knows a lot of things. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. Guy who won Jeopardy for an infinite amount of shows in a row. No, just knows a lot of shit. <laughs> oh. He's kind of funny on Twitter. Yeah, his podcast that he does with uh, John Roderick uh, called The Omnibus Project is the intro to it is terrible. So if you, like me, listen to the first episode of it and think, I don't know, based on based on the first like minute of the show, whether it's going to be any good. Trust me, it is. It, it's is it's it like bad music or it's it's a it's kind of like when I was trying to write a script for a Patreon video for us and everybody was like this fucking sucks and i was like okay um we should do something but though, we have right? to have a intro to our right. podcast it was it was people who are very good at being funny and speaking extemporaneously reading a thing that they wrote which is not great right um yeah so uh anyway power through it the omnibus project it's good um that's just like it's there is a central conceit to the show which I could really do without. Uh, it's like they're just talking about every kind of bus. <laughs> yes, mm. yeah. uh, they're talking about one bus that goes everywhere. Mm. What what does the word omnibus mean? I think isn't bus short for omnibus? 
I don't know. I think that it is. Really? Anyway. Uh, is Omni also short for Omnibus? Yes. That so, magazine is just about buses. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, this this is a book about how comedy is taking over culture. And it's good. All right. Yeah. I, le- I learned about some Twitter. And um, I don't know, vaudeville. <laughs> you know, it's comedy words. Apparently, Omnibus Project is not available on Android. What? That doesn't make any sense. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. You just point to the... Yeah, I'll have to actually find the RSS feed because the podcast app I use, they search for it. It's the Google Play. I actually don't know what what search engine it uses. That's a good question. Uh, But it wasn't able to find it, so I'll have to dig up an RSS feed myself. Anyway, I recommend that book. Recommend that podcast. Also, Sunday I went to this... uh, The Alamo Drafthouse did a... Winona Ryder marathon, which was four movies that they didn't tell you what the movies were going to be. And it was so good that I now want to go to one of those every single Sunday for the rest of my life. They announced a Jeff Goldblum one while. Which can't be I bad. Yeah, can't be bad. They're, they were pointing out the people that were talking about this. There are not really a lot of actors that you could do this with. Like if you did a Sylvester Stallone uh, mystery marathon, you would probably just be watching the same movie four times, uh, more or less. Um, Judge Dredd. Judge no, Reinhold. Okay, you'd be watching <laughs> Judge Dredd, Fast Times at Richmond High. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, what else was Judge Reinhold in? Who's Reinhold Weege? He was a writer on Night Court. Um, you're watching the movie of Night Court. <laughs> God, what if they'd made a movie of Night Court? What if there'd been a whole Night Court extended universe? Anyway, I watched uh, Mermaids, which is a good uh, a good Winona Ryder and Cher movie that I had never seen. Uh, Didn't that was that one of the movies that was like co. Like one of those weird movie coincidences that came out just at the same time it like splashed it or something. Oh, I don't, but it wasn't about. I thought those were the same movie. No. I, okay. You know what was weird though is I remember like watching this v- extremely old print, which is like, oh, okay, so they're, they've got this movie in this projector, and this looks like a movie from thirty years before I was born, but this movie is in fact from when I was in high school. Like, fuck. <laughs> That's. It was a sad, weird thing. Then a movie that I had like heard the name of, but knew absolutely nothing about. Uh, the second one in the marathon was uh, "Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael." It's a very, very good movie. Huh. Uh, it is about this like small town in Ohio where a like local celebrity who has now made it and is like rich and living in Beverly Hills is like coming back for the weekend and they like and now I declare this Roxy Carmichael week and they have a festival and they and uh it's sort of about the way that the people in this it's it is in the same genre of like sort of weird magical realist 80s small town as like Edward Scissorhands like the part of Edward Scissorhands that don't involve the titular Scissorhands uh why don't you ever hear about any of the other Scissorhands family <laughs> Uh, then Heather's, which I had not seen since I was in high school, and uh, it was very good. And then Reality Bites, which I had never seen at all. Which uh, who else was in Reality Bites? Was Janine Garofalo and Garofalo. Ethan Hawke and Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller directed it. Oh, really? Um, okay. And Ben Stiller also just sort of played the like. Wasn't there like an older guy too? 
There's a guy that I did not know. He's been in a bunch of other stuff since then, uh, but I did not really, I didn't recognize him from anything else. Okay. Uh, it was this like essential core of like four people. And then Ben Stiller is the sort of like interloper who dates Winona Ryder's character. But it's like, do I want to date the stable, rich sellout guy or my, this sleaze ball? It was a real like pivot point for Ethan Hawke because it's the earliest time I remember seeing the sleaze ball version of Ethan Hawke. Where he just, like, shouldn't have a beard, you know? I haven't seen... Have you seen that movie where he's a priest and he's having trouble being a priest? Uh, maybe. It's Ethan Hawke, but he just looks like a normal dude instead of, like, a double John Waters because he just <laughs> fucking shaved. Like, it's the guy just becomes, like, the creepiest looking person in the world just by not shaving for a while. And I don't get it. I don't understand why anyone likes that. It's hard to find good actors that are creepy looking, I guess. I mean, I guess as the, like, creepy deadbeat dad in childhood, boyhood, boyhood, he was good. Mm. You kind of got to be a creep for that. Shaved in Gattaca and was just like a dude. That's fine. You could buy that. I respect this dude. I believe in what this dude wants to do with himself and go into Jupiter by pretending that somebody else's dick is his dick. (laughs) That's the plot of Gattaca. (laughs) Man, if they that's how gonna, you had to get into they, and out of your they, spaceship, they were going to call dick it print. Dick to Jupiter, but uh, <laughs> they decided to make a you know a joke about DNA. I don't actually remember if there was a fake dick in that. It like, it was, so the fake dick would be in the different movie where the sleazebag version of Ethan Hawke is trying to pass a drug test. Uh, wasn't Ethan Hawke the sort of the main character in Explorers? No, the time travel movie. Oh, yeah. Precognition or something. Or yeah. What was it called? I forget. I forget the actual name of the movie. It was good. That was a good movie. What it was a, movie a, is this? Like an adaptation of a short story by Robert Heinlein, maybe? Maybe. Was, I haven't a, seen it in a couple of years. Is it recent? Is Since it, we started doing the podcast. Yeah, like with Jim. Three years ago, maybe? It was Jim. Jim had a list of like three time travel movies. Time loop specifically. Okay. I see. So time crimes. Was time crimes on? I believe time yeah. crimes was okay. one of them. Yeah. Uh, Predestination. Looper. That's it. Predestination. Looper's, Looper's good. I was, the, the third one was Triangle, which I really like. They're all good. Looper was not really on it, right? Looper. I'd seen Looper before. This was and like. Looper isn't really looping this, time travel. It's just, it's just stupid it's time travel. <laughs> It's the dumbest time travel movie. It's good. It's fine. It's so dumb. That scene where they're cutting that guy's fingers off fucking rules. Oh, come it's on. It's cool. No. <laughs> it's a cool, sexy scene. Had a huge boner the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Just I, bloodless finger amputation? Come I, on. I liked that movie. Tell me that. I thought that was a good one. It was fine. It. I will admit that it doesn't make any fucking sense, right? Because it's like... Oh, well, we, in order to cover up for murders, we have to send everyone back in time to kill them. But then the entire motivation for the main character doing the things that he's doing is that they just murdered his wife and they didn't send her back in time to do it. They're just like, oh, you know, also, we can also just murder people when the plot calls for it. Yep. Yeah. You know, maybe it's like a Handmaid's Tale sort of thing where you're able to murder women indiscriminately, but not Italians. Russians? I forget. I forget forget who the mob was. It was Jeff Daniels. 
Jeff Daniels is also in Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. Young Jeff Daniels. Uh, that was movie two. Oh, okay. yeah. But then Heathers. And okay. Rally, but yeah. I mean, everybody's seen Heathers. Heathers is good. I think I didn't kind of like Fight Club. I kind of didn't get when I was younger that it was like, oh, this is actually the, the people are bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. What do you want to do, Kevin? Uh, I've had a lot of out of town guests in the past week. Um, been showing them around San Francisco. What do you take people to when you're showing them around San Francisco? Uh, I mean, the, the things that I like to show people are like the Exploratorium, Golden Gate Park, um, Valencia Street with the interesting shops, the pirate store, and Paxton Gate. Paxton Gate. Um, depending on what they're interested in, like uh, just a lot of walk, walking around and going to parks and playgrounds. They'd like uh, one set of friends had some kids, so we went from playground to playground, hung out different playgrounds. <laughs> Do you go to Dolores Park? Dolores the Park. playground you're only allowed into with kids? Uh, well, I think most playgrounds you're probably only allowed to oh, go yeah. into with kids. You're not allowed to just go creep creep around there. Which is, coat. I think, a totally sound policy. Yeah, it makes sense. I've totally hung out in a dog park without having a dog. Uh, that's, I think that's a little different. Yeah. Most people are not afraid that you're trying to fuck their dog. <laughs> okay. If, like, you're just a dude walking around by yourself... Basically, everyone on some level is afraid you're going to fuck their kid. Uh-huh. No one is afraid you're going to fuck their dog. Okay, okay. What if you're playing Pokemon Go? <sighs> uh, does that make it more or less the, suspicious? Less likely the kid, more likely the dog. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of really cool stuff at the playground in Golden Gate Park. There's a giant like concrete slide so it's like terrible to actually slide on but if you get like some sand and you run it down the top and then sit on some cardboard huh. it sort of like lubricates it and then you can go real fast it's like sledding or you could just you could do the uh the alpine slide thing and get a wagon oh god that would be horrifying oh, that'd be way too yeah, fast that's... yeah it was it was this was something that um i actually do you guys know about action park Mm-mm. This was a uh, an amusement park in in New Jersey uh, that was shut down in the mid nineties because people kept dying. Wow, I was just going to make that joke. Yeah, <laughs> is this is this what that Johnny Knoxville movie yes. that's coming out is based on? Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't. It never occurred to me that that, that would, would have been based, based on, on a true story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's an actual place. It had the the water slide that was a loop. Um. Well, how does that work? It doesn't. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think the the thing that was most deadly was the wave pool that was just set way, with waves way too strong to be safe. Um, <laughs> the riptide pool, <laughs> right? Uh, I actually I didn't realize this till later. I didn't realize that this had happened till I was reading about the park. But I'd actually been there. Uh, when I was, I don't know, 12. Um, oh, man, if you died when you were they, a kid and you, this is just your ghost, that yeah, is going to be no, so creepy. Yeah, that would be really weird. I did get a scar. Okay. Uh, it's <laughs> like a ghost. Yeah. It's, uh, or they, they had, a um, 
an attraction called the Alpine Slide, which was basically just like a concrete, uh, like a, a concrete half pipe. I mean, by half pipe, I mean like more like a half a tube running down the mountain. Uh, and, and, it, and it didn't go straight down. So you couldn't just keep gathering speed. It would have twists and turns. Right. But you would ride down it like lying on your back on a board with wheels, basically. Um, that sounds like, awesome. like a it, Oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But like at, like halfway down, I fell off and scraped my elbow, and that was how I got the scar. And then somebody came and hit you, and you died. <laughs> I well, I, I fucking had to start chasing the board down though, right? Because it kept going, and there was a an attendant who stopped it for me. Because apparently that stuff happens all the time. Of course. Anyway, uh, you could have done that with your concrete slide. I guess. Yeah. There's yeah. also a giant like uh, net sculpture kind of thing that you could climb up on like really thick ropes it really seems like a thing that would be good for falling and then just snapping your neck uh, i mean sure that that would that's a possibility i guess but climb at your own risk just like this is just a tree into every branch we've tied four nooses just climb around <laughs> it <laughs> um when i uh, first moved to phoenix the people that we started like drinking with would occasionally on summer nights go to a grocery store and buy like block ice. You get like a bag of ice that's just a Same like block. three by six by 18 inch block and uh, put a towel on top of it and sit on it and slide down a hill. Oh, like it was just sledding where like a grassy hill. Having, yeah, just a grass hill, like at a golf course or something. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I guess if the, either the hill can be snowy or your butt can be yeah, snowy. Yeah, you can. You bring the snow. Yeah, yeah that's smart. Uh, I used to sled down uh, hills that were just covered in pine needles, and they were pretty slick hmm. with just a regular like round sled with a sled. With and it was a great bottom. until you wiped out, and then you were just like just at high speed Wrecked. flung into a yeah. bunch of p- pine needles, which kind of hurt like hell. But that was like the the playground at my grade school. Uh, it used to be like surfaced with uh, pea gravel, which was great because you could you could deliberately just throw yourself at the ground and face plant, and it wouldn't hurt a bit because the little pebbles just they're just round and they just scatter. But oh. I, I guess somebody complained about kids throwing the pebbles at each other, so they they were they they took it all out and replaced it with that like shredded wood bark stuff that if you fall down, it's the most painful thing you've ever fallen down on. <laughs> and it was awful. Because you can't throw wood bark. Yeah, exactly. It's so, I guess. It's so yeah. airy. It's uh, You can't really throw it in a way that could hurt something. It's like a wiffle ball. Uh, right? I guess yeah. so, yeah. Like a handful of pebbles is like basically a shotgun. <laughs> I, a, kid, a kid threw a handful of pebbles at me That's when I was point. in grade school and chipped my tooth. Mm. No. no. Well... My dad used to pull me on a sled behind the truck, uh, just on wow. icy roads. Whoa. And uh, when it came time to stop, he would just turn and then just sort of hurl me off into the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> what else are you going to do? Like, uh, or uh, behind the lawnmower on the frozen pond. <laughs> like a is, riding, that, a riding, is that what that book is about? A riding lawnmower, yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> and then we would suck face. Not me and my dad. <laughs> Us. <laughs> And other people independently. My mom and, you know, whoever. My uncle. Uh, Well, video games then? Sure. 
Very well. Riff, have you been playing any video games? You've only been playing La Mulana. Only been too. playing La Mulana. It's pretty good. We'll it's, talk about it. It's, it's more, well, it's, it's not significantly different from La Mulana 1, but that's all I wanted was another one of those, so it's great. Um, the, I, if, 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 I, if I wanted to get really nitpicky and, and try and find uh, something to, to say that's maybe a little bit of a downer about it, it, it would be that the areas or at least the the areas that I've seen so far don't seem as strongly themed as they are in La Milana 1. Um, like in La Milana 1, when you get to the area that's Egyptian-themed, for example, it's definitely Egyptian-themed, and everything everything really has that nice look and feel and the appropriate music and everything, but the the areas in this one don't... Are, they, I don't know, they just aren't as cohesive... They're they're all interesting and the art is cool, but it it doesn't uh, I don't know it doesn't have as as much of a strong feel. But I mean, it may just be that it's just that the earlier areas are like that, and I haven't gotten to the ones that are strong yet. So, but um, yeah, I'm having a great time with it. I don't remember enough about La Mulana One from when we played it to really have a sense of what the kind of not moment to moment because the moment to moment is just bad jumping right but what's also, also you, bad whipping can you can you describe like well a puzzle um well let's see um or just like spoil something from la milana one that is similar to something in la milana two it's been long i've been deliberately not playing la milana one long enough in hopes that i can forget most of it and play it again soon so i don't really have a specific example in mind but but you know, Humphrey Bogart never actually said play it again soon. <laughs> it's one of those misquoted things. <laughs> but um well for example, like maybe there'll be like I'm just gonna try and make up an example. Maybe there'll be a uh a, a particular sort of item you need. Like, okay, so there's an actual item in the game called the scale sphere, which lets you swim around in water without being damaged by the water, because all the water in, in the in the ruins is slightly poisonous, right? So so if you get this thing, then you're immune to that. So maybe they maybe that is hidden somewhere in a room that you can only unlock like by like if you hit a certain uh, block in the background of of one of the rooms with a certain weapon, right? And maybe that block has a picture on it that's like a some specific looking mural, right? And elsewhere, maybe like one, there'll be like a a throughout the game. Every pretty much every room has one or two like little tablets that you can read and they give you various clues. So there'll probably be like one tablet somewhere in the same area that gives you kind of a hint about a thing that you might do with a certain thing that you might then interpret it to be, oh, does that mean if I use this weapon on this particular block that has this picture on it, then that will do something. And then maybe in a different zone, there'll be a slightly more, uh, uh, specific hint that that if you hadn't gotten it yet then then the second tier hint will more properly clue you in or maybe it's two hints that only make sense in combination with each other right and and so just through adventuring and making notes about 
weird murals that you've seen throughout the game and then eventually you read these hints and you put two and two together and you go oh maybe if i maybe if i throw a shuriken at that picture of a weird looking guy then that will do something and then and you go and try it and it does and it's a really magical feeling but also there's a lot of wandering around wondering what you're missing <laughs> so so I, it's it's understandable that a lot of people are not into it, but I'm I'm super into the the sort of archaeology feel of it, the like figuring everything out and trying to understand how certain clues might relate to other clues or to things I've seen and things like that. And cool. uh, thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> Alexa, send tweet. <laughs> <clears throat> what have you been playing, Jim? Uh, I've been playing... Um, I played a game called Lumo. Actually, April was mostly playing that, but I played a little bit of it. Uh, it's uh, a game that was free last month on uh, PlayStation Plus. And it is a game that, like, my only reference for this sort of game is the NES game Solstice. And it seems like it's... Uh, uh, it's taking a lot of elements specifically from that game where you've got the dude in the wizard hat and you've got the isometric projection and you've got the crates that you can like jump on and pick up as you jump off and then drop under you. Um, and you've got like rooms floating in a void where if you go to the next room, then it, it takes you to another room floating in a void as a way of representing visually representing the space. Um, but it's done in a way that is a lot more like, and, and like, and like Solstice, it is this big, like, open puzzle box world where you just fucking can go in, in any, any direction and probably, uh, you will be unobstructed for quite a while and you, you kind of have to, in, in Solstice, you have to kind of make a map. Um, nice. Uh, you wouldn't like this game. Uh, Solstice, I mean. <laughs> in Solstice, you have to make a map just because, like, the, it, the, the space is so enormous. This game is a lot more modern in that, like, the, the space is constrained. You're more directed. Uh, you don't have, like, three lives and then it's game over. Um, and, uh, the result is actually a lot like what I was trying to do with Text World in that, like, it's, uh, a space it's kind of just like a space where you're doing a lot of like um exploration that has a common like in in this case it's it's a sort of a isometric 3D platformer um and then it just does a bunch of weird like what weird shit can i do in this engine uh kind of an attitude to it where like they will um use like the the specifics of the way the room is rendered to hide secrets that sort of thing or like here's a room that just like it, the, most of the game is a medieval castle but here's a room with like a washing machine and a robot in it um and i've been i don't know i i i, I I'm digging it, but I don't know how much more of it I'm going to play because it's also getting hard in ways that I think are not very interesting, like just uh, extended platforming sequences where because – and this was a huge problem with um, isometric games of the era uh, as well. It's, it's just really hard to see where things actually are because of the way the camera works. 
There's like, sort of the whole premise of Naya's quest, right? That Terry Kavanaugh game that was in that view and it was explicitly just, you can't tell. Like, yeah. there's some pixels here. Is it on this height at this distance or this height at this distance? And right. you don't know. And like figuring that out is the game. Well, right. It's, it's like the assignment except for you can rotate the camera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... um this game, actually, you can rotate the camera like 10 degrees, just enough to let you actually see hmm. where the block is. So that's that's nice of it. Um, and I've been playing um, 80 Days, finally. Really? Oh. Yeah. Uh, I had... I had... Like, I, I had been talking about being on an adventure game kick for a while, um, and I started digging into, like, what are the recent Zizzy Award winners? And... A lot of them are actually like twine games or games of that ilk, um, as opposed to classical parser fiction. And yeah, I'm a lot. Twine, twine kind of hit, I don't know, took over the scene, but it hit that scene really heavily. Yeah. The, I think the Zizzies, especially, because like IF Comp kind of has the parser fiction stuff. Okay. Right? Like, I mean, it's not like, there are definitely still like categories of the Zizzies that. Parser fiction is always gonna like it's hard for me to imagine a twine game winning like best puzzle. Sure, okay, Zizzies, right? Like, because yeah, just all right. In that case, I just need to dig a little bit deeper. Um, and I was trying to think about like why is that? Why are these twine games not interesting to me? And like, am I actually that attached to typing in commands? And what I realized is it's it's the fucking realms. Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's that. The parser games are simulating a space and uh, physical interactions and objects in this space, and that's what I'm into. Even so, like a twine game where you were moving around between different rooms. Yes, yeah, so like, I've just never seen like, one of those. What was the one of the Porpentine games was like that? You're moving between different spaces. It was like one room where you could cut off a dick and <laughs> another room where you could, you know, and cut off I, just part of the dick. Have a bunch of dogs. <laughs> okay. All right. Like what, what was the, what was the first one? It was howling dogs. The first, yeah. Howling dogs was really good. We played another porpentine game right after that, or at least I did. That was way more sort of gamey. Like you, I feel like you were like moving around a space station or something and it had, it had realms. Okay. I think that's cool. That's good to know. Uh, and then I remembered 80 days that's set in the world. That's got a, that's got like the wondrous, <laughs> the wondrous world of steampunk Jules Verne. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I had tried playing 80 days, like probably around the time of its release and bounced off of it because like, I didn't want the stress of learning how to play this game while there's a timer going. Um, which turns out to not actually be a big deal. If you don't make it, it you just don't make it. Yeah. Deal. Well, no, I mean, it was just the fact that, like, you're, you're sitting at the, the city menu where, where you choose, like, you can buy things from the market or you can plan your route. Um, and while, while you're at that, at that menu, the real time clock is running. And that was enough for me to, like, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll play this game later. I'm not, I don't want this kind of stress in my real life. Real time clock. Yeah, uh, the, uh. I don't remember this at all. Yeah, I don't remember a real time clock at all. Up at the top of the screen, it tells you what time of day it is, and it passes like at one minute per second. Oh, huh. Yeah. And like, if you're looking at, uh, like the depart screen where there's the depart button and you're ready to embark on your trip, uh, this happened to me a couple of times where like if, 
the thing is departing at five and it reaches 5 p.m. Suddenly you can't leave anymore. Huh. Well, I, d- I didn't remember that aspect of it at all. Uh, yeah. Like, and like huh. I said, it's not actually a big deal. Sure. Uh, this was just like my first impression of it when I played this like two years ago. Um, I'm really digging it. I, well, and, and I, I don't know if I should use that, say that in the present tense. Cause I don't know if like I've finished it three times now I might be done. Um, but, uh, really, really enjoying, sp- like, specifically sabotage the trip. There's, there's some interesting things that happen if you, like, try to go real slow. Yeah. I have not tried doing that. I'm cur- my currently, I'm currently, I'm trying to go, um, west instead of east. And it's it is, hard. it is not happy with that idea. Yeah. No, it's really <laughs> tough to go that way. Uh, but I did the one where you, um, I did one where you go, I, I ended up, uh, I went through uh, Istanbul, which was great. I ended up in, uh, slaver country, mm-hmm. which is a really like nasty, like, like well-designed funnel to lead you down this trap of, uh, being stuck on a, uh, like a slave catching mission to get to your next destination. That was a pretty brutal sequence, very effectively designed. Um, I went to the North pole, which is a neat thing. Uh, yeah, it seems it, like across the world in 80 days, right? Like if you, I mean, you hit every latitude, no longitude, right? Yeah. If you just walk all, all the way around the, yeah. I mean, if pole. you walk around the North Pole, you go around the world in eight, 80 seconds, milliseconds. Yeah. Right. They still had to get back to London. Hmm. What if you just walk in a circle around London? <laughs> Really, we should we should ask a geographer about this. I don't know if I'm qualified to to weigh in on whether circumnavigating London is the same thing. I remember bouncing off of 80 Days really hard the first time I tried to play it because I was constantly finding the narrative like telling me that I had committed crimes that I didn't intend to commit, and then constantly having to like justify that, like. I don't know if it was like something that I was fucking up that was making it. So I was constantly put in the position of having snuck onto a train without paying for a ticket. Like, but I had the money. I didn't want to sneak onto the train without a ticket. And it kind of made me angry that the game was creating that dramatic situation by making my character a criminal. Uh I don't remember a specific thing like that, but like it's, there's a lot of scenarios in that game. And I totally believe that one's in there. It happened to me a bunch of times on the first playthrough, and it was what, like, yeah, I don't know. I remember getting into an argument with Sean Vanneman about it. Like, he he was basically like, "Well, that's because you only want like power fantasy fiction for babies." Whoa. Next thing you're going to tell me you didn't like Full Throttle? I'm like, no, I fucking hated Full Throttle because, like, it. I think I talked about why I didn't like Full Throttle on this podcast, this podcast. where it's like. Hey, you shouldn't go into this bar because all of my friends will beat you up because you're a faggot. Is like basically the opening scene of Full Throttle. I'm like, I don't want to, I'm not going to be this dude. Like, fuck this. Like, I don't care how right this guy is about the stuff that he does later. Like, this situation right here is a situation that an asshole puts a weak person in. And I get, I get that what the story is doing is, well, but no, the weak person is actually a rich old man who's destroying the world or whatever. It's still like, don't go into this bar because people will beat you up because of the way that you look. Like, sorry, I'm 
I, I'm not on, I'm not on your team there. Yeah. Like, I don't care how right you are. Like, and it's, it very much gave me the same feeling, which it probably is just because I just like baby power fantasy games. Oh, of course. I yeah. just want to be like a nobody. I want to be like a character who's nothing and has no motivation or anything so that all of the decisions that I make can just be like the fantasy version of what I would do in this world, which is only ever help people and collect uh, trading cards of the women that I sleep with in various villages. <laughs> That's funny I mean, because Geralt in The Witcher has a is like hugely characterized and it's the opposite of that. <laughs> I mean, so they what I was talking about earlier about the design funnel that leads you onto the slaver ship. Um, that is kind of what you're talking about, but it is justified in the narrative. Oh, slaver country! I thought you said flavor country, and I've been oh sitting my god here wondering. Wait, I, I wonder yeah, how many of, sponsored by Marlboro. How many? How many of the fucking <laughs> listeners are th- were thinking the same thing? Thank I you was for make that a clarification, joke, which wouldn't have made any sense to riff. Yeah, <laughs> but it. I'm guessing that it doesn't just suddenly have Passaport to say, "Oh yeah, I fucking love slaves." <laughs> no, it Let's, doesn't. Like, give me some more. Yeah, no, like, everybody's very upset about this. Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> right? Okay, all right. It it kind of felt like in that game the point of making you. I mean, I don't know what kind of character Passport 2 was in the novel, right? But, like, making you that character made it so the protagonist could be the kind of, you know, unrelatable dick that Phileas Fogg is. Yeah, I, I think there's some of that. It's weird how, like, in my first... And my second playthrough, I felt like I was the one making all the decisions, like as the, as the valet. Um, because I, as the player, was the one making all the decisions about right. where to go. Uh, in my, the North Pole playthrough, there were several conversations where like the valet, me, is confused about, about why we're going north. Hmm. And, uh, and fog has the plan. And I thought that was really like a very strange, choice for the like in the context of the rest of the game but yeah the north pole stuff it was part of an expansion oh was it so yeah i think maybe that was just like a later add-on where i could understand if like meg giant wanted to just like oh let's do a different tone for this one yeah it could be because i spent five years writing (laughs) the same yeah kind of stuff yeah but I, I like I really dig all the like just the 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 tiny textual portraits of every city, all of the you, the people you can meet in there. It's very very like all the little vignettes, very enjoyable, and like the the conceit of setting this in a fictionalized history is so smart. Not not having to actually like research what every city was actually like in the nineteenth century. Right. Like this one probably had robots, right? Yeah. Um, did you find any repeated vignettes in multiple playthroughs? Uh, yeah. Well, well, the first, I, I, all my games have started with the trip to Paris from London. Like, I, I don't know if you can not do that. Um, and is it the same? Uh, there's definitely been repeated stuff. Okay. Well, one thing that actually I've seen in every game so far is like, you can have a, there's a conversation button like when you're on route to a place, um, one of the things you can do is choose to have a conversation. And sometimes you have a conversation with 
uh, fog. And when you talk to somebody, you can ask them, like, what do you know about the city we're going to? And fog doesn't know anything about London. It's, it's like, regret regrettably, I know nothing. Huh. Because they just didn't write anything for, like, like n normally what you're asking about is, like, where where can you go from there? Mm -hmm. Or what sells well when you get there? But you can't, like, once you get, once you finish the game by returning to London, you can't sell anything, you can't leave again, so... It, it, from a gameplay perspective, it makes sense that they would never have written that, but like, it's dumb that you can have the conversation. Mm. I mean, I guess in something that's so carefully written, that is kind of the peril of systemic text. Right. Right. It was sort of like in Blood and Sand. Blood and Sand. Yeah. I wish I could remember what that thing was called. The engine that Emily Short developed and wrote blood and sand in it was like it was intended to be this very systemic thing for interactive fiction scenarios to play out in but it wound up just producing a lot of sentences that no one would ever write about like this character doesn't care about this thing right now or whatever like yeah what are you playing it on uh android i actually didn't didn't even occur to me that it would be available on something other than the phone. Hmm. I feel like it's on Steam, but I could be wrong. It makes sense. Is. I would have a hard time playing. I would have a hard time reading that much on my phone, I think. Interesting. Blood and Laurels. Not Blood and Sand. Blood and Laurels. Versu. Versu. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, 2014. Damn, dude. Uh, what have you been playing, Kevin? I played about an hour of Chasm uh, that came out. I had backed the Kickstarter for that five or six years ago, maybe. Yeah, that's one of the oldest Kickstarter games that I can think of. Yeah. I uh, think that might have been the first Kickstarter I ever backed. And I enjoyed it. I didn't get very far. I rescued one of the NPCs and then turned it off for a while. Uh, and then I played a little bit. Well, I guess I played through uh, 140, which is sort of an older... Um, this is Jeppe, Jeppe Carlson, the... Guy who was the puzzle designer on Limbo and uh, oh, Inside, yeah. and then made Thoth. 140 was his first like side project game, I think. Uh, it was really good. It was it's sort of a puzzly platform game with a strong sort of rhythmic element associated with it. You're traversing spaces, and platforms are moving in time to music. And you have to use that predictability to traverse the spaces. What does 140 mean? Don't Is it 140 know. beats per minute? It's the achievements are all like 140 and binary. Hmm. And then one, two, three, and four. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's good. It's they have it sort of has boss battles, which is a little weird, but otherwise it's it's very solid. It's very short. It's like an hour. Hmm. So Totally That's worth good. playing. Thoth is also not super, super long. It's, it's just, just very, very, very hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching him play through it and being like, that doesn't look that bad. And then actually sitting down to play it and be like, oh, he's just very, very good. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. What about you? What have you been playing? I've gotten back into the Spelunky Daily Challenge. I in, watched you in a big way. Beat Hell today. Yeah, that's true. You guys both did. That was yeah, that was fun. I'd never actually played with somebody watching me before. It was a lot of pressure. <laughs> you handled it gracefully. Yeah, 
but yeah, I definitely don't have all of my muscle memory. Like I am pretty routinely just like taking damage because I fuck up a bat. <laughs> Riff hates bats. Yeah, Riff. Yeah, I don't like video game bats. There's, they're used to, for so many different effects. I think I prefer the bats in Spelunky to the spiders. Yeah, I've definitely taken more damage from spiders than from bats, especially if you got that enormous one. And what oh. would you do with any of the like nah, sports you, games? You never even aggro the enormous spiders. No, you do if you don't have Pro HUD on. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, you got to turn on Pro HUD. Or, so or if it's a, up. or if it's a dark level. Yeah, yeah, that's still. I don't remember the last time I actually dealt with one of those big spiders without like they just give you the ability to throw a bomb into the web that's under it. Yeah. And that's how you get glue. Yep. You want one of those. You want one of those. <laughs> right. In the mines. So you can get some glue. Yeah. And God damn, Spelunky is a good fucking game. If you have glue but no gloves, what is it useful? Doesn't. They're not related in any way. Oh, what what is the glue for? Makes bombs stick to things. Oh. Okay. I was thinking of something else. If you get a baseball glove, it makes you better at throwing. That combined with glue is really good. Ah, okay. That just gives everything you throw like infinite momentum, basically. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's 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 a weird. It removes your the the arc of the throw, it, huh. like to the point where like I would just I wouldn't pick up any gloves. I don't like the climbing gloves for the same reason nobody else does. Yeah, and I don't like the the catch the catcher's glove. Is it the mm. baseball glove? Because I do like that. I because I just I'm used to the the arc of the regular throw. The catcher's glove and glue bombs makes it easier to deal with shopkeepers at a distance if you don't have a gun. Right. Um, Makes sense. Because any point where you could shoot them from off screen, you can just throw a bomb at them from off screen and know that it that will That does sound them. really useful. Yeah. I, I never, as much as I played that game, I never really tried robbing a shop. And so I never learned how to deal with an angry shopkeeper. And you kind of just have to at a certain level. Like I could understand somebody not being willing to rob shops in the same way that I'm not willing to ghost. Right. Because it's just not fun to me to just like wait around and like kite this thing around the level to move over all the gems I didn't pick up. But uh, but yeah, like robbing the black market is basically like you kind of have to if you want if you're trying to win the game, which is to say finish hell, uh, you kind of have to rob the black market because otherwise it's just all of your points spent buying the onk. Right. I have started, this is something that I didn't used to do in this most recent batch of dailies. I have started just generally robbing the first shop that I find um, just to get a gun earlier. Right. Um, It used to be that I would only, I would rob the black market by going there, hoping that one of the stores in the black market sold a gun so that I could buy it. And then use it to rob the rest of the stores. <laughs> now, the best possible case is if there's a store that sells a machete. Because then you can just pick up the machete and then kill the shopkeeper with it right away. Oh, is that a one-hit kill? Mm, it's two or three. But it, the first, it'll knock them out, too. So right. you can just, like, as long as you connect with it once. And you can pick it up without buying it. Right. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I guess a shotgun would be similar if they sold one. But, you know. Yeah, God's Blocky is great. There's like still hundreds of it. Like I 
it was what, like an hour before the daily challenge rolled over and beating hell, I just came in 54th on the yep. daily leaderboard. So like there's still a lot of people playing Spelunky daily challenge every day. Almost somebody on my friends list is still on there. Which yeah. You were number say. one on your friends list. Yeah. I mean, that happens most of the time. Like if I scroll back through the history for the last like couple of weeks, it's like maybe me and one other person. Hmm. People should get back into like streaming Spelunky. I've also been playing a ton of Hearthstone because the new Hearthstone expansion came out. Yeah. Tell me about uh, the things that you like. I like the robots and the uh, robot, ro- really just the robots. There's there's mechs and there's a new kind of card that like if you play it to the left of a mech, it fuses onto the existing mech and acts as a buff and just gives them that uh, the abilities that the creature would have. But if you you can also just play it as a creature. Uh, is everything that has magnetic a minion? Oh, yes. sorry, a mech, a mech minion. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, not all mechs are magnetic, but all magnetics are mechs. Um, it seems like they are trying a bunch of different stuff to solve. So there is like a, just a, a kind of a baseline problem with the magic style of card game where it is very appealing to a new player to say like, Oh, I want to put, I want to play a creature and then play a card that buffs the creature because that's cheaper than playing a creature that has those same stats or abilities that this one has when it's buff. But what the new player does not take into account is the card disadvantage of that. Then now you're like setting yourself up to, if you trade with one of your opponent's creatures, you've lost two cards and they've only lost one. Like to get it on the board in the first place, you've played two cards instead of one. And that's just not a thing that is like inherently feels like it has value. And so it's like, it supports a very naive play style. And they're kind of trying to fix that. I think that in this, there are three different approaches to it in this specific expansion, which is just like trying to make those things valuable enough that somebody would play them. One of them is there's a priest minion that when it dies, you get back any spell you've targeted it with. That's not new that, that, that effect was in a previous was on one. Was card. there was there one of those before? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, this is a very cheap one, right? Though, right? So you and you so you can have two. I think it was on a it was on a, a legendary minion before. I think so yeah. So it was like an expensive and thing. it was you a paladin one card. Of, yeah. I think. Um, there is a card that buffs. It's kind of expensive. It buffs a minion and then just gives you a copy of itself. That you only get two. It's like a three mana, give a creature plus two, plus two, and then it adds a card to your hand that's a three mana, give a creature plus two, plus two. So it's like, well, what if, what if this card was just two cards? Would that help balance this? And then these things that are like, this could be a minion on its own, or you could use it to buff another minion. And it's, it's interesting. I don't know, I don't know if any of those approaches are going to wind up being like meaningfully valuable in the meta. The advantage of the, not the advantage, the, uh, one of the features of the like mechs that have magnetic is that a lot of them are neutral cards. And so they're almost like spells in the neutral card set, which is the neutral cards are always minions. Yeah. So it's interesting when they put stuff that's, that's almost as versatile as a yeah, spell. And can work card. as, can work, can work as a spell that would buff a minion. Yeah. yeah. It's also, it's kind of nice because 
one of the one of the other things about a game like this, like a game where you play creatures and they have this sort of summoning sickness that means they can't attack on the first turn, is that you put attack power on the board and you cannot typically attack with it the turn that you put it on the board. But with these buffs, you can because you can play it on a on a minion that you cast last turn, so it's able to attack. And so you can just kind of get bigger moves for the same amount of mana using it, even though you know you're you're limiting it. Like you're you're still turning two cards into one body on yep. the board, which is it makes you vulnerable to removal. But like Yeah, I don't know. It like I want them to solve this problem. I mean, I wanted Hearthstone to solve the summoning sickness problem. Like they tried. They really, really wanted to solve that problem, but they just couldn't make it work. First player always just has too much advantage. Yeah. And you know, they they've basically it seems like they've decided they don't want minions to have charge anymore. The thing that just lets you attack the turn that you come out. They've replaced it with a thing called Rush, which lets you attack other minions, but not other players, which the attacking players with a thing that you've put down this turn was always the kind of like degenerate case that made it so they couldn't do cool stuff with that. Um, yeah, Hearthstone is good. I also played like, I played a couple hours over the weekend of the uh, uh, Red Faction Gorilla Remarsterd, which... The Space Asshole yeah, v- yeah. version? That game is fucking good. Yeah. It's like 10 years old and it's still, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure the remastered version has done some stuff to make it look nicer or whatever, but it, it doesn't really matter. Like, ah, right. I remember this is fun for this reason. And is that it's like, just like just, everything is destructible? Is yeah. That the buildings that, you know, you just drive truck around, just crash into shit. And yeah, the map should, is just full of like icons for you to go fuck some shit up. Oh God, it's good. I should check that out. I liked that or the original a lot. And what, like, what is Red Faction Gorilla? Like, what is? It's just an open world. Like, what? Who is? Who is the gorilla? Or what, what is? What is the story? What is the? You like, go to Mars, and you never played it. No. Oh, fuck. I don't. I don't know anything about. Wow, games. dude, you should buy the remastered version of it and play. Okay. It's really, really good. Okay. You show up on Mars, and you're like, "Hey, what's going on? My brother, mom misses you." And then your brother's like, by the way, I'm a terrorist. And then the cops kill him. And they're like, now you're a terrorist. And you're like, fuck. I guess I'm going to blow up buildings and shit now for the rest of the video game. <laughs> okay. It's like two minutes of cutscene to establish. Like they, they just, they, they make the government like very tyrannical and like they're, they're just like, you know, summarily executing sympathetic looking people as soon as you, uh, as soon as you land on the planet. But they basically made the atmosphere of Mars breathable, but then enslaved everyone on it. And so. You're, 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 you're part of the red faction and you're a gorilla. Okay. So you escape from the Mars zoo. Yep. Um, and you fuck up buildings with a hammer and bombs and missiles and also just driving a truck into it. You drive a truck into it. Yeah. The driving physics are real touchy. Like it's. It, it's very, very difficult to drive fast without just rolling every car that you're in. And sometimes you have to get out of the car and hit it with a hammer to flip it back over, which is pretty good. <laughs> it's a lot like real life in my experience. I'm just constantly carrying a sledgehammer around in my car to exercise. Yeah, it's pretty good. A friend of mine had a shirt 
that said, ask me about destructible buildings on it. And apparently like his entire dev team had these shirts made uh, so that they could have conversations with management about why destructible buildings actually isn't better gameplay about how like this actually just destroys the game design they've been working on. And the only advantage is that it's cool. Yeah. Cool is a pretty big advantage. That's a pretty good advantage though. Yeah, it is a like, and I think like red faction gorilla does a really good job selling the cool. Oh, uh, these guys were trying to make a competitive first-person shooter, though. Oh, sure. Yeah. You can't really tell much of a story in this unless the story is go fuck up that building. Well, right? right? Like, you can't actually... Fortnite a destructible terrain first-person uh, shooter? Or is it so person You can destroy I, the terrain that other people create. I haven't played Fortnite, but I have been seeing threads on Mastodon about how um, Epic... They're hypothesizing that Epic doesn't actually know um, what makes Fortnite good. And by the, the game design changes they have made recently have made it so that people don't know how to effectively use buildings in the meta anymore. And it may actually not be possible anymore. What do you mean? It may be that the meta now is not, does the, the optimal meta now does not involve building anything. Before I saw people building a lot of towers and yeah stuff right right and and like that this person's hypothesis hypothesis was that they kind of just stumbled into like a balance of guns and objectives that led to building the, these different things being effective gameplay and that nowadays like people are you know they're trying stuff but they haven't found anything that like uh, is a really effective use of buildings with the current. Um, rule set hmm. what changed specifically? I, I actually don't know I, I i didn't dig that deep into it to to find out but that, that was what i had re- that was just the 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 toot thread i had read i mean i always find it very difficult to like if you read forum responses after the patch of any game ever i'm always reminded of a set of screenshots that i saw once which was forum responses to the announcement that Heath Ledger would be playing the Joker in The Dark Knight. Right. And it was like, well, they've clearly lost sight of what anything good is. And like, you get to a certain size and even the tiny minority that like is going to just loudly criticize anything that you do suddenly becomes a very loud yeah. contingent on forums yeah, and, and normally I would be right there with you, but this, this was like a thread of with game designers in it, uh, so that gives it a little bit more weight in my in my mind. So real people, right? No cops. The reservoir dogs. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a reservoir dogs good. joke. Nice joke. It's good. See, if you'd watch Reservoir Dogs, if you weren't so grossed out by the violence, I've seen it once. Yeah. Think about that a lot, actually. That line. Just goes right past it. Doesn't yeah. examine that at all. Yeah. Uh, you don't care because you're racist against cops. <laughs> right. Uh, well, do you guys want to talk about the assignment? Sure. Captain Toad's treasure tracker? Sure. Over and over again, you get to go on a diaper adventure. <laughs> a what? It's a- he yells diaper adventure before every level. 
This game that. is fucking great. It's very, very charming. It's pretty good. Um, it's like everything that I want out of a 3D Mario game and none of the things that I don't want out of a 3D Mario game, which are confusion and jumping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a bunch of like relatively small levels. You're a toad who I despise. The the VO for Toad is just I hate it so much. <laughs> I don't remember any of the VO. It must have it must have just gone straight. It's in just an like high pitched gravelly shrieking. <laughs> like <laughs> that's, you, that's you accurate. Yeah, play it without the sound. Yeah, yeah. Like diaper, like diaper if you adventure. like if you played if you played Wario at like three x speed. <laughs> that's what he sounds like. <laughs> The Wario takeover of the Nintendo Twitter account was pretty good. Well, yeah, especially at three three x speed, he'd be <laughs> unstoppable. So there's these levels, and the levels have like a star that you're trying to collect, which is your goal, and then there's three optional gems which you can collect, which is your goal, and then there's an there's optional secret, optional secret, secret objective, objective which is your goal. Uh, and then you, when you've beaten a level, then you can they hide a pixel toad somewhere on the level. Which is your goal? Huh. I don't think I ever actually did that. Really? Yeah. Were you aware that minigame existed? I, well, I think I accidentally became exposed to it and didn't understand what was happening. Right. Um, okay. It's just it's just literally like a pixel hunt kind of thing with a pixel toad. I found huh. it kind of annoying to play this game. Like, it was annoying to not play with the pro controller, but it was annoying to play with the pro controller. The pro controller just, was rough. I, there were a couple just of like things. It's like really also a pointer, and so there's just yeah, like a yeah. fucking cursor that randomly wanders around the screen as I like move my legs to get comfortable yeah, that's, in the couch. Uh, that's so and you have to use choice. it from time to time to like actuate stuff yeah, on the screen. Yeah, which like this, you know, when you were like, yeah, this was a Wii U game. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes you have to like they had to figure out how to. Do things where you could d- didn't have a touch screen. Yeah, they had to simulate that with I, the pointer. I ended up. I I played it. Well, I I I could not decide if I wanted to buy it on 3ds or Switch, so I just played the demo of both versions. <laughs> but I couldn't play it on Switch on my TV because my controllers were out of battery. So I ended up playing it touch screen mode. Oh yeah, and it works really nicely there. I I bet the 3ds version is a really good experience. It's Is it the same set of levels? Uh it it is in the demo anyway. Um I think so, yeah. I I I think if I if you have both, I would recommend getting the Switch one probably because it's I don't know, it just looks a little nicer. It's it's obviously like higher resolution and all. Uh but the the 3DS one plays totally fine if that's what you've got. I got to a place where, I, where the credits rolled and I was like Wow, that was kind of really short, short for a $40 yeah. game. And then it's like, oh, that's book one. There's a whole additional book or maybe there's three, four. Yeah, there's three total. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so that, that I, seems, and that seems more like a $40 I, game. I played through, I played through the whole first thing and I, I sort of like, if I had knew where a diamond was and just didn't manage to get it, I would go back and perfect the level, but otherwise I kind of didn't bother. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I 100%ed the first book and then I think, stopped. Yeah. I figured I would eventually go back because like, I kind of do want to keep playing this. Like, It's pretty it's fun. fun. Except the first the level of the second book made me really not want to continue playing the oh, second dear. book. Yeah. It was like 
40 times the size of the first level. Like, not in terms of actual, like, complexity of the topology of it, but just, like, it was just big. It was like, ah, goddammit, this is like a fucking Mario 64 level, not like a Captain Toad They get bigger, though. Like, the train was pretty big, but just (sighs) Yeah, but it was was straightforward in a way that, like, yeah, I don't know. It was just, like, the the first level of the second book was just all these, like, ramps that you rotated around, and then the ramps ended up being really, really long, and, Hmm. like, it was like the sort of parts that I don't like about the Mario Galaxy games or whatever. Man, the like library was really, really good. The haunted house was really, really good. Yeah. The first one, just like very simple spaces with just like a bunch of complicated connections. Kind of, yeah. Just like connectivity modalities. And, and yeah. those are, those are like the optional objectives on those are great because it's like, okay, now get through this with the minimal number of, yeah. of moves in the, the space. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. And they're not they're not trivial, right? Like you have to think about it. It's really, really good. There are some of the optional objectives that I was just like no fucking idea the, how you're supposed to get that thing. The final like, one was really aggravating. It's like finish the, the finish beat the boss with 70 coins. So if you die during the boss fight, you lose all your coins, so you just have to start over. Oh yeah. And click there's like clicking coins isn't hard, it just takes like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And so it was that that was the thing that was made me angry. That yeah, was the objective that's, that's that made me angry. I, I think I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad that I don't care whether I 100 yeah. percent all of these things or not. Like I'll do it to the extent that it is fun. But it, I never found the second gem on the second level, and I kept trying and kept trying and kept trying and just couldn't find it. So I was huh. like, "Huh, well, there are sometimes gems are like in plants. You have to pull. It, you have to like." pull up every plant mm. sometimes gems are you have to kill a monster to get a plant to, to get the gem to show up they, they love that they, they talk love, to people sometimes yeah they talk love to to, folks. i like that when you talk to people you don't actually have to read any text bullshit Nintendo yeah. text. <laughs> yeah like there's that's something that was really like in in replaying the thousand year door it's like man this writing is funny and there's a point to it but there's still six times as much of it as there really ought to be. Yeah. And it just like, man, I hearing Gary Butterfield talk about breath of the wild, just like I felt exactly the same way that he did about essentially every piece of written text in that game, which is just that it was such a waste of time and the game would be so much better with no text in it at all. Yeah, I agree with the text that it had in it. It was it was fine, but it's definitely not the strong point of yeah. Breath of the Wild. But I like that they just omit it in this. And I like that like it seems like you can just like skip most of the cutscenes and it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? It's like just gonna be some bullshit with people's shrieking. So <laughs> I like I don't need a motivation to find these jewels. They're jewels. Right? <laughs> they provide their own motivation. Right. Um, so you need to collect a, a bag of them to give to your handicapped girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll land a helicopter on the roof. <sighs> That's the only value that jewels have. <laughs> I played it at a co-op with April. Um, yeah, what is that? What is, yeah, how does co-op work? With that, what you do, you have to play it with the Joy-Cons, which is weird. Uh, you can't, like, we had a couple of, um, pro controllers, but they don't let you use that. You have to use the Joy-Cons. Because they want one of you to have a left stick and one of you to have a right stick? Yeah. I guess, but that, 
Yeah, and, and like that, that w- the controls mapped well to what they gave us. So like maybe that's, it was just to reduce confusion or something. Uh, but yeah, like one person gets the, um, one person gets the pointer and one person moves Toad around. And that's the, that's the co-op aspect Who of it. Who moves the camera? Uh, the person with, the who moves the pointer moves the camera as well. Okay. Yeah, it, there's, tricky. there's a lot of, there's a lot of like very specific coordination you have to do. It's kind of a weird, choice but it was fun it was uh, i think it added to the experience i read a little bit of an interview where they talked about how this game came about and it was uh it's sort of the desire was to make a game that would help introduce people to the concepts of three dimensions like 3d games and stuff yeah so it's like okay i mean this definitely feels like my first mario odyssey level yeah i i feel like it it is a like Treating 3D spaces as more like dioramas than worlds you are like within makes it a lot more approachable. Well, and just and levels that are small enough that you can like spin the camera around and see everything and understand how everything works and how tunnels connect space to space and that kind of thing. Like it's yeah, being able to look at these spaces and know whether I can get somewhere or not. As opposed to like, well, maybe I'm just not good enough at whatever bullshit new kind of jump they've allowed Mario to do in this thing that everyone understands except me because I didn't like Mario 64. <laughs> like, you know, is this a thing where if I were able to twist the camera to the exact right angle and hold this other stick at the exact right angle and do a backflip that I would be able to get onto here? Or am I just not supposed to be there? Clearly, I'm just not supposed to be there. There's another way to get there because there's not a lot of... I mean, there get to be some things that are like somewhat difficult to execute in this game, but they're pretty clear and they're normally just like annoying to execute as opposed to like requiring any virtuosity, right? It's like, uh, get up here and try to figure out what fucking combination of buttons to press to turn this goddamn wheel. And also we're going to shroud the entire screen with this overlay so that you can't see where the birds are that are going to just hurt you while you're spinning the, the wheel. Camera stick is controls the wheel you gotta hold one of the you gotta hold down some trigger that's the only thing it does sure i mean yeah that's yeah it just took a minute sure and when i go on the test screen it's super easy yeah no sure when i go back i'll just have to learn it all over again because it's not like yeah that was a little bit of a bummer every now and then there'll be something super well hidden like uh the golden mushrooms are sometimes like incredibly well hidden yeah yeah, I still just don't understand. I can't find the second fucking gem on the f- second level. I think if you went back, you'd find it again. You think? Yeah. That was my hope. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Oh, you know what else I played that I forgot to uh, talk about was uh, I played a little bit of the release version of Dead Cells oh. on Switch. And it's very good. It seems like they've just made it a lot easier since the hmm. early access, and that's fine. <laughs> did you notice any frame rate problems on the Switch? No. Okay. No, I did not. Huh. There's been a lot of complaints about it, so... Hmm. I haven't really gotten very far into it, so maybe later when there's more stuff. Mm. It's anyway. Captain Toad's Treasure tra- Trash tra- Trail is a very good video game for kids and adults. Five stars out of five. It was fun. I definitely would keep playing it. I think. Uh, what's our next assignment? Exapunks. Yeah, new electronics game. Mm. You can hack your own body. Shh. I was really curious. What's in the, what's in the, what's in the promotional <laughs> materials? 
I don't really know what this game is. I read the zine. Did you? I did. And I still, mine's still in an envelope on my kitchen counter. It's like pretty thinly veiled instruction manual, yeah. plus a little speculative fiction stuff. Not, not you didn't miss much. By I it, bet it's cool. Play it before Kevin does, so that you have any chance on the histograms. Kevin will <laughs> blow up your histograms. They're they're more just like more like my histograms. Says Kevin. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're his histograms where him is Kevin. That's Jesus. That's what they turn into. Kevistograms. Uh gentlemen. I've had a fantastic time. I've had a fantastic time slurring my way through episode 340 video games hot dog with you. I hope we do it again real soon. And listeners, I hope you'll join us. And that's it. Cockaboobooboolaya. I also had a fantastic time, Zach. Oh, good. <sighs> Yay. Have a great week, everybody. Can I do some emails? <laughs> I would if you have them ready. Sorry, I don't have a computer. Oh, okay. No, don't tease them like that. It's mean. Bye. Bye, Ref. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Later. <laughs>